entering the Freedom Hut. Trump is under siege from his critics for some tweets over the weekend, but uh, guess what? He is fighting back and doubling down. We'll break down all the latest on that, plus a major change in what asylum actually means at our southern border, how this could help stem the migration crisis. We've got that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. These are people that, in my opinion, hate our country. Now, you can say what you want. But get a list of all of the statements they've made. And all I'm saying that if they're not happy here, they can leave. They can leave. And you know what? I'm, I'm sure that there'll be many people that won't miss them. But they have to love, they have to love our country. They're Congress people. And I never used any names. But these are people, quiet, 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 quiet. Quiet. These are people that if they don't like it here, they can leave. And I'd be, I'd, I don't know who's going to miss them, but I guess some people will. One of them is polling at 8%. So when, when I hear people speaking about how wonderful Al-Qaeda is, when I hear people talking about some people, some people with the World Trade says some people, no, not some people much more than some people. When I hear the statements that they've made, and in one case you have somebody that comes from Somalia, which is a failed government, a failed state, who left Somalia, who ultimately came here, and now is a congresswoman who's never happy, says horrible things about Israel, hates Israel, hates Jews, hates Jews. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. President Trump not backing down an inch today after the whole media what firestorm, right? Let's bust out all the cliches, the media controversy around what Trump said. Look, here's what's going on, all right? Let's, let's look at what matters for a moment, and then I want to talk to you about the asylum situation on the border, and we'll, we'll return to whether Trump should have said things the way he said them later on. Uh, There is an anti-Americanism that is now prominent in the Democratic Party. It is on display. It is out in the open. And this has always been a feature of the left in this country, a a want to uh, the desire to tear down this country, to um, divide this country in ways that we we think less of each other based on our ideology and our politics. This has been going on for a long time. But now you really see it. Now you really see it from the the angry and bitter caucus within the Democratic Party, right? The the leftists, and it's not even just this squad. You've got, you know, Elizabeth Warren. You've got others who are just, they're just always bitter about this country. You know, that what they want to do is appeal to the victim mentality that so many people have. Because you know what the truth is? Life is hard. Life is full of disappointments. I'm sure many of you listening to this have things that you wish had gone differently. I know I have things that I wish had gone differently, different choices I could have made. I wish I had been more disciplined. I wish I had focused more on things that matter. I would, a lot of, but part of growth and part of being 
a productive and worthwhile human being is you just accept that you're not perfect and you try to do better. And you have certain, hopefully, moral code that you live by and you adhere to, but none of us are perfect and you you just assume that along the way there's going to be some bumps and bruises but what if somebody could come along and tell you that all this stuff in your life that's not the way you want it to be everything that is either a failure or a disappointment or a frustration is someone else's fault some other system a systematic oppression you could say some other group or or entity or organization or 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 an entire history is the reason why you are frustrated, the reason why, and therefore it is not in your hands, it is not as your fault. And all you have to do is be a part of the movement to put power in the hands of those who claim that it is all someone else's fault, and they will address this unfairness. They will address this inequality. They will make the frustration go away. Of course, that's all a lie, right? But that's the big lie at the heart of the Democratic Party. And you see here, What's causing the frustration for many on the left is America itself. The cause of the disaffection, the cause of the dissatisfaction, it is this country for leftists. Instead of viewing this as the greatest, most prosperous, most incredible nation state ever created in the history of the universe, which is what it is, they look at it and say it's it's a place of oppression, of sexism, of racism, of wealth inequality, and we need to do a whole top-down refit, put other people in charge, strike down the powerful, push them aside, unless they're leftists, and then make them more powerful. Folks, it's all a lie. It's a dangerous lie, too. It is an ideology of bitterness. Bitterness toward a country that has given all of these individuals, yes, the squad, so to speak, but many other Democrats. I mean, they're, they're the leftist beliefs that they hold, they didn't come up with them. They've just, they're just manifestations of it. This is now mainstream Democrat thinking, especially in Trump's America. All this prosperity and optimism and growth and, you know, we're, we're becoming spoiled in this country right now by how low unemployment is, how high the stock market is, no major wars. I mean, you look at this, and Democrats are furious with it. They hate how much, dare I say, Trump is winning. They hate it. And so what do they do? They, they spew hatred about things, and Trump is sick of it. He's sick of this mentality. And, and by the way, I, I, I agree with him insofar as enough is enough. We don't have to sit around and get lectured by people who neither have the, uh, the intellectual depth nor the moral depth to tell the rest of the country how to live their lives and what they should do. We don't have to sit around anymore and clap and, and, and you know, smile through our teeth at people on the left who want to tear down so much that is great about this country because they think that they are better than America. They think that this country needs to be dramatically remade in some other, not, not, the, not the constitutional basis of individual liberty, no, 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 something else. What is it? They're not really quite sure yet what it is. They just know it has to be something else. Trump wasn't going to back down. 
Trump understands that backing down to these leftists, to these Democrats, never gets you anything good. This is one this is one takeaway from the Trump era that I hope everybody has, which is they will Kavanaugh you. They will ruin you. They will destroy you. They won't feel bad about it. They don't care what it takes. They act without decency. They act in bad faith, and they feel good doing it. This is the political opposition we face in this country now. This is now a defining characteristic of the left. This is not something that is a, a aberrant among Democrats. They really believe that Republicans don't care about dead children at the border. They really believe that Republicans, in their heart of hearts, don't want to defend sovereignty and rule of law, but are just racists. And the fact that many of the Republicans that hold these positions are themselves minorities doesn't change their thinking at all, or that the Republicans who hold these positions are repulsed by true racism and believe in the dignity and individual rights and individual grace of all individuals, that doesn't matter to the left at all. It's just about what the narrative can be, how effective they can make it. They'll say whatever they have to say at any point in time. That's where we are as a country right now. When was the last time you heard about Russia collusion, by the way? Notice how they moved off of that. Oh, I thought that was the most important lesson the country had to learn. I thought that that the president was a traitor and that Russia was destroying our institutions. Oh, you mean they, they can't damage the president with that anymore? Looks like, looks like they have to find something else. Now it's the president is a racist. Oh, they draw this straight line from Trump on the escalator to Charlottesville to this tweet. This is what they're doing. They never are content to just make a case to the American people about their ideas. It's always, we have to be our side, the Republicans, conservatives. We're bad people. We're just bad people. And Trump is the worst of all of us. You know, Trump is, is worse than, I, some, some idiot was on MSNBC today, apparently said Trump is more racist than a neo-Nazi, I think was the quote. And I'm not even sure that's the dumbest thing on MSNBC that's been said all day. I'm quite sure it's not the dumbest thing that's been said all day there, which just tells you a lot about what gets said over at MSNBC. For those of us who care about politics as a, as a system of dealing with competing interests and trying to bring about the common good, the best for the country, the best for you and me, there are more important things to think about than whether the president tweets or says everything perfectly, and the president knows that. And that's why, even if he does perhaps misstep one time or another, he knows that he's in a fight, and the other side is just hoping to make him lose. There are no particular rules they abide by. They'll do whatever they have to do. They will use our own decency against us, just like we're seeing at the border, I might add. The decency of the American people is being used as a weapon to undermine our sovereignty and our rule of law. Our very asylum process itself has been uh, overtaken as a Trojan horse for open borders in America. That's what's going on. We don't want people to live in fear of execution or torture because of their political or religious beliefs, so we have a process called asylum. Guess what? Leftists are now cheering as that process is being trampled on by people who just want to be here because, yeah, it's a great country with really nice fat welfare benefits, and people want to be here and not in Mexico and not in these other countries that they're fleeing from. Hmm. But that's not what the process of asylum was set up for. We will get into this because this is very important. The Trump administration is in the... And by the way, it's going to go to the courts. There's going to be a fight over this. But this 
is where our focus needs to be. They have to stop the lie. It is, you know, one one thing that drives me crazy before we have a, have a quick pause here to collect our thoughts before we come back and dive into this, this asylum fight. They keep saying that Trump wants to end asylum protection for these migrants. No, he's trying to stop fraudulent asylum claims. That's what these are. When over 90% of people are saying something that's not true, you have to stop the massive fraud. But we'll see what the media does is they say, oh, but it's all just asylum. No, that's not the way this works. They're trying to scam the system, and we should not allow them to get away with that scam. We have more on this team, a whole lot more. Stay with me. I watched Lindsey Graham today on Fox and Friends talking about the same subject and, frankly, even stronger than what I'm saying. He said they're communists. I'm saying that they're socialists, definitely. As to whether or not they're communists, I would think they might be. But this isn't what our country is about. Nevertheless, they're free to leave if they want. And if they want to leave, that's fine. And if they want to stay, that's fine. Politicians can't be afraid to take them on. A politician that hears somebody where we're at war with Al-Qaeda and sees somebody talking about how great Al-Qaeda is, pick out her statement, that was Omar, how great Al-Qaeda is. When you hear that, and we're losing great soldiers to Al-Qaeda, when you see the World Trade Center gets knocked down, and you see the statements made about the World Trade Center, all the death and destruction, I'll tell you what, I'm not happy with them. And it's very easy to be say, oh, gee, well, it's okay. If weak politicians want to say, and the Democrats in this case, if they want to gear their wagons around these four people, I think they're going to have a very tough election because I don't think the people of the United States will stand for it. I hope he's right. I, I know that the version of, uh, of events and the version of America that you get from Ilhan Omar, AOC, Tlaib, Presley, I know that that wouldn't win a national election, but how different is the view of America from those four members of Congress to, say, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders or, you know, go down the list or Castro, who says the president is a a white supremacist? I think we actually do we even have him saying that we might even have him. Oh, yeah, Trump. Yeah, he says it. Play 13. Everybody knows that uh, uh, acts like a white supremacist. Uh, he is a racist. He's made that clear on so many different occasions. And not only that, uh, as the leader of our country, his politics, his strategy is about dividing people along racial lines. Yeah, okay. It's we called get racial so, climbing. So this is, this is, how is Trump supposed to speak to elected members of government who refer to him as a white supremacist? I, I just want to know, you know, what, so, so does he have to just make, you know, Aristotelian arguments and and try to try to bring them out via you know the the tactics of Lincoln Douglas debate and and show the wrongness of their positions. I mean, I, I understand some people say yes, Bunga. but you know he's a human being too. And if somebody was calling me a white supremacist, I would let it fly at them because it's a lie and it's a smear. I think Trump feels the same way. I think he's sick of it. This is garbage. This is nonsense. This Democrat 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 <laughs> Freudian. This Democrat uh, party is is cracking up. I mean, it's just it's it's wacko. Uh, they they're, they've got these people that are running around 
that are making these kinds of claims, they're saying this insane stuff about the President of the United States, and their side never calls them out for this. A white supremacist? But remember, they've, they've tried to move the definition. White supremacist used to be, you know, swastika tattoos on your neck, a shaved head, and, you know, Aryan Nation stuff. And now a white supremacist is, uh, I don't think that we should have race-based admissions in colleges. <gasps> That's white supremacy. No, it's not. It's just it's actually the opposite of racism. But that's perhaps a conversation for another day. Trump is not backing down because he understands that backing down just puts his puts him in a weaker position going forward. Do I wish that Trump could use sometimes more precision? Do I wish that he hadn't said something that makes it sound like he doesn't even know that these members of Congress? Three of the four were born in this country. Yeah, yeah, I. I, But I'm also asking Trump to be the guy who can go out there and fight against all this stuff and not get fatigued and not get bogged down and not despair against the fact that, you know, if this if the current Democratic Party were to come into power, I I don't know how and when the country would recover from that, because this Democratic Party is not what I grew up with. It's not what you grew up with. This is something else. This is some radical socialist craziness. That's why I got Lindsey Graham running. Lindsey Graham straight up calling them commies, and we'll get into that later. I like it. You know, if they're going to call us white supremacists, maybe we should call them commies. Maybe we should tell Democrats that they're just a bunch of statist, socialist lunatics. I mean, that's that's one way to go. Because I, I got to tell you, this this stuff that we're seeing from uh, from the far left these days, the the vitriol, the anti-Americanism, and this is how you had an Antifa guy. Over the weekend, the press is just reporting on a man attacked an ICE detention facility. No, you had an Antifa domestic terrorist try to blow up an ICE detainment facility. He had a gun. He had gotten into a shootout with, with ICE officials, and he had a manifesto. And he, the manifesto was exactly what you'd expect from somebody who was, you know, an MSNBC watcher. I mean, the talking points could have come out of Rachel Maddow's monologue. And this guy is a terrorist, and he's... You know, where's all the coverage of that? Antifa terrorist tries to blow up ICE facility because it's concentration camps, taking AOC's language. Oh, is the media going to hold her responsible for all the vitriol that... Folks, glad you come here to the Freedom Hut because we got a lot of fight left in us. People who come to our border uh, must have and want to apply for asylum must have already applied and been denied at a country they passed through. Uh, remember, asylum is about safety not a choice of forum. The idea is that you want to get people safe, and this is something America's been very generous about in the in the past. That's right. That's Ken Cuccinelli. This is what the administration is doing. I wish they had done it a while ago. They're just going to start saying, if you, it's through executive order, and remember, the president has a lot of authority over who can come into the country. These are all aliens. These are all non-U.S. citizens who are showing up. They do not have the, the rights of citizens, despite what the left and Democrats want to give them. And the president should be able to exclude them all for any or no reason, by the way, if he just feels that it's in the national interest. But that would, of course, be, you know, that would be DEFCON 1 for the libs. They would completely lose their minds. And it would be overturned overturned in a federal court right away and um, because they just find some judge. They find some left-wing Obama appointee to say that the commander-in-chief isn't really the commander-in-chief. That's what we keep coming up against with this president. That's what they keep doing to him. But now that we see the administration saying, okay, 
you have to at least try to get asylum in Mexico effectively before you can ask for it here in America. Because all these Central American migrants, they are taking advantage of the system in a few ways. One is you'll notice there aren't all these Mexican asylum seekers. Why is that? Mexico's got plenty of people that I'm sure would still love to come here illegally or still come here, period, in some way if they could. But it's because contiguous countries, Canada or Mexico, if you come into the country, if you come in illegally, we can we can push you back across the border very quickly. Non-contiguous countries, there's a different set of rules, and that's why the Central American asylum seekers have been able to get into the process, into the pipeline in America, and not be quickly deported back to their countries of origin. And the whole point is to just overwhelm the system, gum up the works, and then you get to stay forever. So now we're saying, okay, the administration is going to only allow you to apply for asylum in this country if you try to get asylum in Mexico. Effectively, if you're so desperate to leave El Salvador or Honduras, if you're really in fear for your life, Mexico is not a country that is in a state of war. You're not being persecuted politically or religiously in a country where you have the same religion and same language. Okay, that's not happening. So why wouldn't an El Salvador and say, okay, I'm in Mexico now. I'm safe from the violence that I say I'm fleeing in El Salvador. What, because Mexico is too violent as a country to be in? Come on. That's, that's not a serious position. That's an untenable, intellectually untenable position for anyone to hold. So this is going to force the discussion or for, force the reality, I should say, into our discussion that these are not legitimate asylum seekers. They are scamming the system. And this is going to be, you know, it's going to be fought in court right away. But just remember, asylum is about safety. It's about people getting to a safe place. And it's not about getting the best welfare benefits and the best economy. And, you know, that's, you know, having access to the best schools. That's not what asylum is about. That's immigration. That's different. And if they're in Mexico, that's a safe enough country that they should request asylum in Mexico first. It's also a country where they share a lot of cultural, linguistic, you know, background. So why wouldn't you want, if you were really just fleeing violence in Honduras, why wouldn't you want to apply in Mexico for asylum? I think it's so interesting. One, I'm sure you'd be told this by Latin American experts, is that the Mex- uh, Mexicans are often quite nasty to other Spanish-speaking peoples in the region, particularly Central Americans. So that, that's a question that maybe that would come up, uh, but no one's going to want to talk about that because only America is ever bad to people. Only America ever has racism, right? That's the story you hear from the left. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but this is an important move by the administration. It will be challenged in court pretty much right away. Um, and this is one of many things that has to be done here in order to stop this migrant crisis from continuing on. And the rhetoric is going to continue to be horrible. I mean, I, I even though everything the administration do, is doing here is is proper. Uh, I mentioned this Antifa terrorist. Remember, we, we've got to talk about this here because they won't want to talk about it at the other networks. A left wing Antifa Democrat Party sympathizer tried to blow up some ICE facility where there was detainment going on of of some of these migrants saying that it's like a concentration camp. And he wrote some manifesto. I read his manifesto. And he's taking the language of AOC and saying, well, you know, and I, I understand if I thought that there were real concentration camps operating in this country, would I take up arms against them? Absolutely, I would. If there were real concentration camps operating, I, I would take up arms. No question about it. These aren't concentration camps. 
only a moron thinks they're concentration camps. But there are a lot of morons out there who are hearing this stuff from members of Congress. And they will act on it. You know, I remember when, if you said anything mean about CNN being fake news, you were responsible for that one idiot pipe bomber guy. Well, what about AOC and this member of Antifa? What about Ilhan Omar and what she says about how we treat migrants that are coming to our southern border? Play clip four. And instead of us saying, here is A, B, and C, we're saying there is zero option. And if you ever think that you have a chance, we're going to treat you worse than a dog. One of our members said to me, if there were dogs in those cages, every single member of Congress would vote to make sure that all of these cages didn't exist anymore. So we live in a society we live in a society and govern in a body that might value the life of a dog more than they value the life of a child who might not look like theirs. And that is completely sad. Saying horrible things about, about America, about this country, about how we, we treat migrants. And, and I'm sick of it. And I know a lot of you are, too. And I do think the president should and has a has a role, has an obligation to speak out about this and should continue to. This is anti-Americanism straight up, full stop. That's what this is. These are people who are lying about us as a country, us as the American people. And yes, they are of us. They are Americans. They are members of Congress. But guess what? Sometimes the people that you really have to worry about are the people who are on your side, so to speak, as Americans. The enemy within can be very real, my friends. The ideological opponents that we face, the most important ones today, aren't external to this country. They are internal to this country. And I think the president and many of his supporters recognize that. We all know that AOC and this crowd are a bunch of communists. They hate Israel. They hate our own country. They're calling the guards uh, along our border, the Border Patrol agents, concentration camp guards. Uh, they accuse people who support Israel of doing it for the Benjamins. Uh, they're anti-Semitic. They're anti-America. Don't get down. Aim higher. We don't need to know anything about them personally. Talk about their policy. Man, Lindsey Graham, I, I like... I like what he's going for here. I mean, first of all, to have a senator call them a bunch of commies is great. You got to like this. It's like, we all know they're a bunch of communists. Yes, we do. Let them have it. They're going to run around calling everybody racists and fascists and and you know, white supremacists and Nazis. We can start to call them commies, folks. I mean, I call them libs. We could also say, I think we need to use the term commie more because they're not really even democratic socialists. When you're talking about the AOC wing of the party, these are individuals who want so much control over the government and think of themselves as a revolutionary committee of sorts that should have the power to do whatever they want. Well, then, yes, then yes, you you do in fact uh, I, I think deserve to call some of them commies. So so I like I like where Lindsay's heads at on this one. Now on the specific charge 
of aiming higher. Uh, this is where the Trumpster in the press conference today was just like, look, man, he's he's not he's not having it. Uh, oh, and let me just before we get into this, they have names for us all the time. They, they, they call us names all the time. Right. They being the left, the Democrats. W- why can't we have disparaging terms for them that go to what they believe in their ideology? I'm not saying the kind of names that you you know would, would be ashamed to call anybody. I mean, there are some things you should never call any person. Right. But. You know, curses and things. But why can't we call them commies? Why don't we refer to them as libs? If they're going to run around and say that everybody's a racist and a white supremacist and a neo-Nazi and a fascist and all this stuff, uh, why do we always have to say, well, you know, they really want to enlarge the government and are not constitutionally bound and they're not originalist. And, you know, this is where Trump is a different kind of Republican. He fights in a way that is effective because he fights the way they'll fight. This is a fire with fire situation. He calls them out. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you know, with, with Mitt Romney, it was like he was always doing a model UN tryout when he was trying to trying to argue with Democrats. And it just doesn't it just doesn't do it. it doesn't cut it. It's not enough. So I I think and the the left clearly understands the importance of dominating the languages that we use and. But that's why, you know, when Trump says he disagrees with Lindsey Graham on this one, look, I think that Trump is usually, uh, when he pushes hard and fights back, I like it. This time, I I think that he opened himself up for, because what he said just was factually wrong, and it was it was not necessary, and it did seem, you know, it, it, it just opened up this can of worms. It didn't have to happen. So I, I think it was a blunder. I think it was a blunder. I think it was the wrong, the wrong tweet. But Trump, I got to tell you, he disagrees, folks. I mean, he's he tripled down on this one today because. But also, I know what Trump was trying to say. Trump is taking aim at the anti-Americanism of these figures. He's not. You know, this is the thing. Trump. Trump's not a racist. Okay, they they can say this about him all day. He is not a racist, but he's willing to say things that the left will claim are racist because we live in this politically correct, can't say anything, have to just always be lectured about white privilege and white supremacy all the time. And so Trump breaks out of that mold. To do that is going to sometimes mean maybe he goes a little further than I would if I were him. But then again, I'm not the president. But he he disagreed with Lindsay on this one at the press conference today. Play clip 20. I disagree with Lindsay. These are congressmen. What am I supposed to do? Just wait for senators? No. These are four. So I disagree with Lindsay on that. That was the only thing. He said, aim higher, shoot higher. What am I going to do? Wait till we get somebody else in a higher position, higher office. These are people that hate our country. They hate our country. They hate it, I think, with a passion. Now, it's possible I'm wrong. The voter will decide. But when I hear the way they talk about our country, when I hear the anti-Semitic language they use, when I hear the hatred they have for Israel, and the love they have for enemies like Al-Qaeda, then you know what? I will tell you that I do not believe this is good for the Democrat Party. Certainly, it's not the party that I've known over the years. You know, Trump is saying, look, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said it the way I said it. That's, that's the closest that Trump will ever get to that, by the way, what he said there. You know, maybe the voter will decide. But he's not backing down on the fight. And I understand tactically, I know why he does not apologize, because they don't want his apology. They just want him to concede ground. So they, it's trench warfare, folks. 
it's not like you abandon one trench, you go back 100 yards, the other side's going to want to cease fire. They're just like, okay, now we're in a better position to shell you more. And that's all they want to do. Trump knows that. So that's why when they play this whole game of, why haven't Republicans denounced? Why haven't they denounced? Look, I mean, I, I've said I didn't, I didn't really like what the president said. The president knows he, he might have gone the wrong direction a little far. But no, sorry, we're not going to play the, oh, I'm so sorry game. Because the I'm so sorry game doesn't get you anywhere. The, okay, well, this is what I would say now game is what Trump wants to play, which is I'm still in this fight. You know, sometimes, folks, you know, in, in war, sometimes the wrong, the wrong house gets bombed. You know, bad things happen. And, and I, I think the Trump approach here is when you're dealing with true, truly virulent anti-Americanism and, and it's just this attitude of, of shocking left-wing dictatorial authoritarianism which is what you get from the the aoc green new deal lunacy i mean that whole wing of and how you know we we have to embrace all these insane ideas you know that if you're not completely on board with transgender 12 year olds dancing in in front of rooms full of men i mean this is all real stuff that's happening now folks you're a bigot one of the big ones that keeps coming up and you know you're just starting to see it now is oh if you're if you're not if you're a heterosexual male and you do not find a transgender female, which is a biological male that claims to be female, you don't find that person sexually attractive. It's not that that's your preference and that's okay. You're a bigot. This, this is all, they've started this. They've started this. And I'm, t- give it two years, this will become the mainstream position of the Democratic Party because they're insane. Because they have lost it. They're an ideology now that is unmoored from any moral principle, from any reality other than power and mob rule. That's what they've become. That's why they're all for open borders. That's why they'll say whatever they have to say whenever they have to say it. So, yeah, I, I think Trump, I understand. I think that when, when Lindsey Graham said aim higher, I think he meant, you know, take the high road in the conversation. I don't think he meant go for more prominent officials. Trump took that in a surprising direction here. But let's let's just go back for a second to. Lindsey Graham, who was was uh, you know doing doing a pretty a pretty good job on the morning show, was he on Fox and Fox and Friends this morning? Here's what he also said about the squad of four, which is uh, Presley, Tlaib, AOC, and oh wait, who am I missing? Presley, Tlaib, AOC, and oh Omar, of course. Play ten. I think there are American citizens who are duly elected that are running on an agenda that is disgusting, that the American people will reject. Talk about what it means for America to have free health care for illegal immigrants and no criminalization of coming into the country. I hope Lindsay is right. I think he is. I couldn't guarantee it. I'm not sure that what he's saying here is true. I I, I don't know. This, this country, we got a lot of First of all, we've got a lot of people coming in from the third world who are, if they're not voting, they're raising kids who are being told that all this stuff that the left preaches is true. So you got that. And then, you know, you have the media apparatus is still all in the pocket of the Democratic Party. You know, this Lindsey Graham's faith here that the radical agenda of the left will be rejected in the next election. Yeah, if the economy is as good as it is right now, probably, but we get a big economic downturn and all of a sudden we're told that the rich people are the are the problem and they have to pay their fair share and that's what's really an issue here i don't know lindsey graham may have more faith may have more faith in the american voter than i do that's for sure everybody knows that uh that 
uh, acts like a white supremacist. Uh, he is a racist. He's made that clear on so many different occasions. And not only that, uh, as the leader of our country, his politics, his strategy is about dividing people along racial lines. It's called racial priming. And he has done that more successfully than any politician that we've seen in a very long time. It is absolutely racist and un-American. And it is an old trope go back to where you came from, that, you know, you might hear it on the street, but you should never hear that from the President of the United States. So I was on Fox yesterday, right after uh, these tweets came out, and I saw them right before went on, and I said, oh, uh-oh, this is going to be, this is going to be one of these news cycles, all of a sudden, that's dominated by some Trump tweets, and I knew exactly what they were going to say, and Okay, I'm of the mind that this is not helpful and that it's not a it was not a, a smart move for the president that he should have said what he was trying to say differently. I don't uh, I, I don't agree with how he said it, if nothing else, just because now we have to spend all this time doing cleanup duty and trying to figure out, well, you know, when can we move on to the stuff that I want to talk about and that the country should be focused on, which is changing the asylum policy, changing, you know, getting these ice raids underway, making sure that they're happening. That's what that's what's important. The, the the battle with the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, Trump is is great on that usually, and if nothing else, Trump's magic power, his special power, is that he can endure and has endured being called everything by these uh, leftists. Everything. He's a rapist. He's a traitor. He's a racist. He's a. They call him the worst things that you can possibly call anybody, and doesn't phase him at all. He just keeps on. He just keeps on coming at them, and that's why they. One of the reasons why they, they absolutely hate him so much, you know, because they can't stop him and they can't force him to do what they want him to do. They can't make him fear them the way that they have made other Republicans fear them. Because, you know, Republicans, even the prominent, powerful ones in, in elected office, they don't want to have people in the media calling them racist. Uh, they don't want to have to go and face their constituents and have people in the audience who say, well, you know, this. You know, I saw this CNN store. They called you a racist. They don't want that. They, they, they do not want that. No, no, no. That's Their reputations are very important to them. And they're not willing to withstand the kind of verbal assaults and undermining that Republicans uh, are subjected to unfairly, usually, by the left. Overwhelmingly unfairly. Uh, but yeah, so Trump, Trump tweets this out. And, and I, I think that his supporters... And I, I, this is where I am on this. Look, he's just trying to say that there's a an anti-Americanism that has become far too prevalent and far too uh, prominent in the Democratic Party, and that there are some people who are really representative of that now in the Democratic Party, and he's just not going to stand for it. And they can call him a racist, and they can do all the stuff that they do and all that, and, and it's not going to change the fact that Trump, at the end of the day, is... Not not going to not going to move an inch based on their allegations. And he's definitely not going to move an inch because of what John Kasich, you know, Ohio, you're a great state with great people. I don't understand how this guy continues to be your governor. But uh, Kasich waited on this one. Play 22. I don't run around trying to call people communists and they're socialists and they hate America. I mean. You see, this is the road we're on. It's just that one thing leads to another. It started in Charlottesville, and all the time, and the language becomes more and more acceptable. We become immune. 
this name calling, where does it leave us at the end? We're losing a little piece of our soul every time we stand back and allow this kind of rhetoric and division and anger to be announced without people pushing back saying, all right, that's enough, knock it off. Where was a big tough guy and moral voice, John Kasich, when Democrats were trying to ruin a man's life and reputation and destroy him and and psychologically torture him on TV in front of his wife and children and friends and colleagues and tens of millions of onlookers during the Kavanaugh hearing. Where was big tough guy Kasich then? Where were all these Republicans that I see now saying, oh, this is so so racist? Where were they on the Kavanaugh thing? And I I don't want to hear about, oh, book, that's whataboutism. It's not whataboutism. This is about the fight. This is about how they fight and how we are expected to fight. They want us to apologize for the words we use. They want us to feel on the defensive when we're trying to talk about difficult or touchy subjects. Do they have any compunction? Do they have any uh, hesitation on their side? You know, we had Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino on last week about their Kavanaugh book, which I bought over the weekend. I'm looking forward to diving into it. I'm planning to get through it very quickly. Uh, They point out in the Wall Street Journal editorial today that the left didn't really pay any price for Kavanaugh. Maybe they left uh, a Senate seat or two on the table. Maybe. But there was no real price paid. The journalists that tried to run with the smear, and it was a smear, and it was a lie. Those women that accused Kavanaugh were liars. And the whole thing was orchestrated. It was a hit. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in American politics, and it just happened a year ago. The people involved should all be ashamed. In fact, the people involved should lose their public positions. They should be drummed out of public life. Instead, you have people like Kamala Harris who are contenders for the presidency she was very much involved in the kavanaugh smear cory booker i am spartacus very much involved in the kavanaugh smear i just want to know where are these these uh these moral paragons these titans of virtue that we see on the right these people like like Kasich, where were they during that whole debacle which was the most atrocious thing I've ever seen in American politics and will be repeated by the left if they can get away with it. They did not pay the kind of price that would prevent them from going down that same path in the future. We all know this. Why is it that there is this entire class of Republicans out there who are so much more fierce and so much stronger when they are tearing down people who are their allies on most policy issues their fellow Republicans, but in the era of Trump, people that are Trump supporters, and never have the same kind of vitriol directed at the Democrats. Have you ever heard Kasich say that the Democrats are crazy, that, they're, that they are advocating for the mass infanticide, that there aren't 37 genders, that men can't get pregnant, that we can't have a Green New Deal, that Medicare for all is a fantasy? Do you ever hear John Kasich say any of this stuff? Or just say that Democrat senators on the Judiciary Committee who tried to ruin Kavanaugh should live in infamy because they're a disgrace, not just as senators, as human beings. Trying to set a man up and and 
pretend that he's a a gang rapist? Remember, that was the allegation. That was read into the record. A gang rapist when he was in high school? No person with an IQ above 20 could believe that. But that was what they did. The New Yorker with a little Ronan Farrow. Oh, they built him up, his whole Me Too thing. You know, someone handed him that whole Weinstein story. And yeah, he stuck with it, but he knew he had a big, he had a big scoop. And then he used all that credibility at the moment. He was going to be a hero to the left forever to try to bring the second woman story forward. Yeah, she was so traumatized by the Kavanaugh incident that didn't happen that she took six days in conversations with lawyers and a therapist to try to help remember if it happened to her. And then the third woman, Swetnick, who was just a, a crazy person. I mean, truly somebody who is mentally unstable and never should have been taken seriously by anyone. And Blasey Ford is emotionally unstable and clearly has problems. And now we know more about her past. And she has no idea if it was Kavanaugh or some other guy who grabbed her. She has no idea, you know, how much she had had to drink that day. She had no idea what's going on in the situation. That's what's come out recently. Just making it up as she went along. Maybe she thought she remembered it, but who really knows? I just want to know where all these... And I'm, I'm sorry, there's some... You know, my I I he's a he's a nice guy and he's good on some issues. But you know, David French over at National Review, David, you know, you didn't respond to me on Twitter, so I'm going to say it here. I I said, why why does he believe Eugene Carroll? Why is he jumping on that bandwagon against Trump? Well, Eugene Carroll's a crazy person who's trying to sell books that she can't sell because her book is terrible and it's all a joke and it's horrible. The whole situation, right? Putting her on TV is is ridiculous. Anderson Cooper show. I mean, that was great. I mean, that was really Anderson Cooper deserved. He deserved that. He deserved that. He deserved to have E. Jean Carroll on his show implode in real time. He deserved that. For all the smears about Russia collusion, all the other stuff he's put on TV. Where are these brave Republicans on those issues, though? It's only on our side. And you know why? Because the Democrat system, the apparatus, the media the social clubs, the speaking contracts, the book publishers. You just you always want to be a Republican that they that they give a little pat on the head to and that they kind of like. You don't want to really be totally on the outs with them. And that's all they need. They don't need you to totally they don't need the guys like Kasich to abandon the party entirely and to go they just need them on key issues to give a little bit of a heft a little bit of friendly fire, so to speak, against Republicans from their own side, and you know, you'll, you'll get taken care of. You, know, you, you won't be targeted in quite the same. You won't get Kavanaugh. That's the thing. People talk about how those who speak out against Trump and the Republicans are, are brave. In a lot of cases, I think those who speak out are, are guilty of the opposite of bravery. I think there's cowardice and there's self-interest involved. It's been far too easy. Too many people are willing to vote for the other side, push for the other side against everything that they claim to have stood for for decades in some cases. People have switched party affiliation because of Trump. How, how could you have been a Republican who really believed in the Republican platform for the last 30 years and now, never mind the fact that Trump's actually doing a good job, now you're going you're gonna to push for the other team? Now you want what? You want the Ocasio-Cortez party to be running the show? I mean, you have to be out of your mind to want that. That's where we are. 
That's where we are. Thanks, Kasich. Always appreciate hearing from you. He's a jerk. If you're going to come to this table, and for all of you that have aspirations of running for office, for whatever lived experience and identity that you represent, if you are not prepared to come to that table and to represent that voice, don't come. Because we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't need Muslims that don't want to be a Muslim voice. We don't need queers that don't want to be a queer voice. And if you're worried about being marginalized and stereotyped, please don't even show up. That seems very open-minded, doesn't it? That seems like a, a, a call for free thought and free expression from one of these uh, four members of Congress that's gotten so much attention recently. I'd be very curious. I mean, I, I could analyze, and perhaps I will somewhat, what she thinks she means or what I think she means here, but I would really want to ask Ayanna Presley, Democrat from Massachusetts here, what does it mean to be a, quote, brown face that doesn't want to be a brown voice? What, what, does, that, what does that mean? Are, are you no longer, you no longer have you being just the, the, the royal, the generic you, you no longer maintain your minority identity if you are not a voice for that minority? Well, who determines what that means? I mean, I would like to ask Ayanna Presley if, let's say, an African-American member of Congress who wants to address the family crisis in the African-American community right now, uh, particularly of children being born out of wedlock, which every social scientist will tell you is an enormous indicator of problems of all kinds down the line, that children without fathers are more likely to uh, abuse drugs, more likely to go to prison, more likely to be violent, less likely to finish high school. If, if a member of the African-American community who's a, who's a congressman were to address, is that, is that speaking for the community or is, is that outside? Is, is that being a, a black face that speaks with, uh, that, that, that is also a, quote, black voice? Unquote? I, I, I want to know who, who gets to draw these lines. And how we can think about that as anything other than a kind of racial determinism. That if you are of a certain race, you have to think a certain way. You have to. And this goes to the core of the Democrat Party's identity politics. You can be expelled from the community for being uh, the, the community of a certain eth ethnicity, at least politically speaking, unless you go along with all the different things. So, so if, if you're black and you have any questions about the Democratic Party's platform, does that mean that Ayanna Presley and the Democrats question the uh, question one's blackness? Or if one is brown, uh, does that mean that one questions that? I, I, I wish the press corps was interested in exploring these, these, uh, these concerns with Ayanna Presley, but I, kn I know they won't be. I mean, they're all terrified. Can you imagine... Somebody at MSNBC asking a tough question of Ayanna Presley that, you know, I, I still think that there are people who, in the early days, I can think of one or two in particular, didn't even mean to ask AOC a hard question, but it came across as hard. And I, I think that they were, I think that those journalists that did that were uh, put on ice. I think they were punished for that. I don't think that was viewed as positive. So you have Ayanna Presley saying, quote, we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. I, I think that's something that we need to address. And, and then you also are just understand better. 
And then you have Ilhan Omar, who here's the kind of stuff. Here's the kind of stuff that Ilhan Omar runs around saying. And I also, again, I think that we're allowed to raise this as an issue. Play five. And one of the progresses that we've gained and the people who are celebrated for that progress are our civil uh, rights leaders. And one of the reasons we celebrate some and don't celebrate others is that some of them believed in nonviolent movements. And so in, in the situation of Palestine, what we are doing right now is having hypocrisy in not celebrating nonviolent movements there and condemning it. This is what we're dealing with in the halls of Congress. This is what we're dealing with in the rhetoric that is in, in, in the media in, in regards to people who are nonviolently wanting to resist. Who is, the, who, who is doing a great job of nonviolent resistance in Palestine? And I, I wish she would speak with greater specificity so that I could actually look into what the heck she's talking about. It's not in any way a surprise. I mean, no one sits around and says, wait a second, Ilhan Omar, she's got an issue with Israel. Here's the truth, folks. The vast majority of the Muslim world has been told that Israel is bad, an oppressive state, should be, an a pariah, should be a pariah state. And you see this just through the actions of the UN, if nowhere else. But the normalization of anti-Israel sentiment and, and anti-Semitism throughout the Muslim world is something that, even if somebody is a Democrat who is celebrated by the left now, should still be a problem, should still be shouted down, should still be debated. And... That's where the media falls flat with Omar and, and all the rest of these celebrated leftists. It's creating tremendous fear, unnecessary fear. Um, what's happening is a very cynical political strategy by the president and his administration. It is literally an effort to help their electoral prospects. It's not about public safety. I, mean, I, I am in a city where we have become safer every year. We don't ask documentation status. Anyone, our police don't ask documentation status. They work with immigrant communities and it's helped make us safer. So this is not about safety. This is uh, literally using government agents for political purposes. First of all, it's not really about safety at all. It's about the law. Do they lock people up for uh, tax tax crimes and for for financial fraud because of safety? No, they're not. They're not a they're not a threat to anybody. It's not about safety. It's about breaking the law. A lot of laws that you get locked up for that it's not about safety. Illegal immigrants are in the country in violation of existing federal statute. That's not supposed to be okay. But there you had Bill de Blasio, a.k.a. Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio, Warren Wilhelm in the house. Yeah. Uh, who was gone this weekend. I was in New York over the weekend, and there was a, a blackout. And uh, de Blasio was busy in, I think he was in Iowa, which is just so classic. Here's this guy who is just doing slightly better in the polls than Eric Swalwell, who is doing slightly better in the polls than you or I, in that we all have 0%. <laughs> so that's uh, the one great thing about the Swalwell campaign is that it was the ultimate everyman campaign in that he proved that anybody, literally anybody, can run for president. 
So he got that going for him, which is nice. Bill de Blasio is not far ahead of him, though. He's, he's at, I think, 1% or less of the vote. And anybody who would, and I mean this including progressives and leftists, anyone who would vote for Bill de Blasio for president of the United States should really have their head examined. I mean, that there's, there's something wrong with them. Great editorial in the uh, New York Post, I think it was today, saying that the, I didn't even know this was possible, but the governor of New York under the state constitution can suspend the mayor for 30 days and and uh, work to oust the mayor, which I, I didn't know, but hey, you know, we have a federal government, we have states. Cities kind of exist at the pleasure of the state. They don't really, you know, we don't, we don't think of it this way because in some places the cities are so large and powerful that politically they have even more sway than the state, but Anyway, they, they were talking about how you know, de Blasio is, is a total buffoon. Uh, his wife spent $800 million plus of money on a mental health initiative that nobody, no one knows what it even did. Uh, he, the homelessness crisis in New York is out of control. There are homeless shelters that are popping up in neighborhoods that are not used to having homeless shelters all of a sudden. This is a new de Blasio initiative. And... This is a guy whose work ethic includes rolling out of bed at like 10 or 11 a.m. and then taking a 40-minute drive from Gracie Mansion, the, the mayor's mansion, to his gym in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which for those of you who don't know is quite a ways away. It's be like going all the way across a very large city so that he can do, you know, 10 minutes of wrist stretching or whatever, pretending that he's working out. I mean, this is not a guy who goes into beast mode, trust me. Do you even lift, bro? Yes, I lift the weights very hard and very heavy. Yeah. And he thinks he should be president of the United States. Wow. What a delusion. Keep in mind, he was a very close Clinton confidant for a long time. The Clintons really liked this guy. Uh, they thought that he was somebody that, I think he ran Hillary's campaign when she w- ran for Senate. So don't don't ever think that this is someone who's just Everyone understands what, what, a, what a jerk and what a clown he is. There are many, many out there who uh, at one point thought that he was a, a real contender of the Democratic Party. I mean, look, he thinks he's a contender. He must. That's why he's running. I know it's more my problem than yours. I'm going back to New York, but you guys all know that the Democrats in New York can affect the policy at the national level, and that's, that's why it matters for, for everywhere. Uh, speaking of clowns, Anna Navarro over at CNN gets away with saying stuff like this on... I mean, she, she really is... She's the worst political analyst, I think, on TV. Uh, and, and she's supposed to be a Republican, which is hilarious. She's a Republican who just does the bidding of whatever her Democrat bosses over at CNN tell her to do at any point in time. A Republican who hasn't said a nice thing about a prominent Republican in the Trump era, period, from what I can gather. But she's on CNN. They treat her like she's a cross between, uh, you know... Thomas Jefferson and, and Copernicus, when really she's more along the lines of uh, somebody who has never read a book. But uh, here's what she says. Play 15. This is our country. It is our country as much as it is the Trump's country. And if we're going to start sending people back, I don't know. You know, listen, um, Ted Cruz was born in Canada. Marco Rubio's parents were born in Cuba. Melania Trump was born where? Slovenia. How about her parents who are here through family immigration? I am sick of this guy's hypocrisy and his ways of dividing this country, pitting people against each other. And I think it is no coincidence. It is no coincidence that the, the Congress people he's uh, you know, picking on are all women of color, are 
all women of color. By the way, we didn't have this in the clip, but then the, the CNN anchor went on to say, because it's a classic CNN anchor question, and do you think President Trump wants you in the country? <laughs> what do you think Anna Navarro said to that one? Oh, man. You know, CNN is terrible. I mean, CNN should be, it, it should really be like disbanded and, and built anew. I mean, they, they should just, they should scrap the whole thing. They should pretty much fire the entire, the entire uh, executive board over there. Get rid of everybody. Get rid of almost all of the almost all of the uh, on-air talent they have, and they should start fresh because it's a joke. It's a it's a bad organization that represents dishonesty with people who are delusional and nasty. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what they think is going to change. Where all of a sudden people are going to look at them and say that oh yeah they're trustworthy. They put people like Anna Navarro on the air though, and you just got to think to yourself how could anyone have such bad judgment? You know, really, it's just, just insane. I mean, she's, I'm sorry, you can tell, I really, I find her to be among the most odious pundits out there, but there you have it. We've all heard reports that the Trump administration is threatening to round up and deport thousands of immigrant families in cities across America this weekend. No matter their immigration status, I want every Angelino to know their rights and how to exercise them. Remember, you have the right to remain silent. You don't have to open your door to an ICE agent that doesn't have a warrant signed by a judge. You have the right to speak to a lawyer before signing any documents or speaking to law enforcement. And if you need help finding an attorney, you can call 311 and learn more about our Justice Fund and other resources that offer legal support. And whenever possible, keep a record of everything that happens. Take note of an officer's name and badge number, of when and where you're being questioned, so you can use that information in your own defense. And most importantly, I want you to know you do not need to be afraid. Your city is on your side. And rest assured, here in Los Angeles, we are not coordinating with ICE. Not on America's side. Not on the federal government's side. But their L.A. Mayor Garcetti is saying that your city is on your side. Against the federal government. Against federal law enforcement. That is what he is saying, folks. He is rooting against federal law enforcement efforts. There's no other way to interpret it. There's no other way. Does he say this? Does he does he put out public announcements? Okay, drug dealers, there's going to be a big sweep in the neighborhood, but just make sure that you know the procedural rights that you can exercise that might trip the cops up, slow them down, make it harder for them in some way. You know, just just understand What's you know, and, and even if you're saying, well, Buck, this is all true. Yeah. But does he tell them all just so you know, you have the right to remain silent? Yeah. OK, sure. Why feel the need? to? Why would you feel the need to say that about a, about a drug dealer sweep? Oh, legal immigrants aren't drug dealers, Buck. OK, but it's illegal. It's a crime. Are, are we now to pretend that these things aren't crimes? You know, I, I just I wonder where Democrats really draw the line here. Well, they draw the line at their own power and their own whims. Um, but, yeah, they're trying to help people who have violated U.S. law, uh, in some cases for many years and in many different ways, avoid federal law enforcement efforts. What, someone should ask Mayor Garcetti, is, is being illegal a bad thing? Um, is, you know, does, he not, does, does he not want his city to be free of illegal? Well, we know the answer, of course. No, he, he wants as many illegals as possible. I mean, California has been transformed. It will no longer be a state that will ever vote for somebody who believes in limited government, who rejects identity politics, who does not think that uh, that 
people should vote in a ethnic and sectarian block together. You know, you'll never have that again. You'll never have somebody that's limited government that believes in a, in a constitution that has words with meaning instead of a constitution that can be reinterpreted by statists and progressives on a whim. That's gone now in California. It's not coming back. That's the model for the whole country. This isn't a particularly complicated thing to figure out. I mean, this isn't an experiment that you can't work out of your own mind. But it is it is so galling to hear a mayor of this, what, the second largest city in the country essentially telling an entire class of criminals, hey, you know, the 5-0, the, the police are on the way. Here's what you got to do to try to stay low and stay stay away from them and you know, just the stuff like, you know, you don't have to answer the door unless they, they show a warrant. Do, do they really think that ICE is running around without warrants and going into homes? It's just such a strange thing for him to say. It's it's not even really a dog whistle. I mean, it's it's a bullhorn saying, I'm hoping that ICE is a failure in all of this. He is rooting against federal law enforcement efforts. That is what he is doing. It's a mayor of a large city. Remember, the LAPD works for the mayor. There's law enforcement officials that have to answer to this mayor. This guy's bad news, and his city's obviously got a terrible homelessness problem. I, I want to talk more about homelessness here on, on the show because I'm seeing it. It's, it has gotten really bad in New York City. It has gotten really bad in, in D.C. I've been out in L.A. and seen it very, see it very poorly there, uh, playing out very poorly. So, And it's largely a mental health crisis that's exacerbated by left-wing policies. Uh, but that will have to be a discussion for another time. Um, another issue that comes up here while we have these these ice raids that have apparently started, but there could be more of them, is why is uh, why is it that now raids of any kind uh, and even calling them raids? I mean, they're really roundups. It's just going around picking people up, saying, "Sorry, it's time for you to be deported." They're not they're not throwing flashbangs in and sending in a a SWAT team with a bunch of uh, MP5s to grab these people. At least that's my, not my understanding of how these things go down. Uh, but there were a lot of deportations into the Obama years. And, and were those deportations evil and racist and bad? Uh, why were those deportations more or less okay? You heard so little criticism from the media that and look I, i've said this all along because it can be a little bit confusing why would obama who wanted amnesty be deporting people and even being called by some on the left the deporter in chief well i was saying that this is because they were playing playing the long game and they realized that if it seemed like democrats like obama were operating in good faith with our immigration laws willing to deport people willing to enforce immigration laws then they are in a better position to fool people into thinking that they would take a deal for amnesty seriously and have and the enforcement mechanisms in that deal would be uh, treated with seriousness. When we know that would just we saw this with the the amnesty back in the 1980s, you get the amnesty and all the other stuff. That's just a suggestion that never really happens. But sleepy Joe Biden got a little bit of heat for the deportations of the Obama era recently. And here's how that went. Play seven. I want you to apologize for the three million immigrants that were deported and separated from their parents and their families under the Obama era. I want to know if you will commit to stopping all deportations and detentions of your elected president. No. 
deportation. Detention. I would make sure that every single... Will you apologize for the 3 million deportations under the Obama administration? No. What I will... 3 million deportations under the Obama administration! Apologize now! Apologize now! 3 million deportations under the Obama administration! Do you want me to answer your question? Do you want me to answer your question? Oh, yeah. No, you don't, really. That's what the Democrats have created now. This mob mentality of just start chanting and yelling at people and make them apologize. And we all know Biden has learned the hard way. Don't ever apologize to them. Trump knows this. This is why even when Trump says something that's wrong, he doesn't apologize for it. He might amend it. He might add to it. He might, you know, say he'll say something else. But he's not. He's not going to to bend the knee because then they just, then they just push you over, push you to the ground. Don't bend the knee to these people. You don't want to do that. But this is what the Democrats would have to answer. This is what Joe Biden has to answer. If there's nothing wrong with being an illegal in this country, if there's no problem with it, really. Why shouldn't he apologize for the deportations? The Democrat Party has shifted on this issue. Just as Joe Biden has come under all kinds of scrutiny and has all this additional heat now because of policy changes that he you know, has, over the course of his career, enacted where he was on the wrong side of an issue at one point, then he, then he switched, right? He was opposed to, opposed to forced busing, and now that's just one example. He worked with segregationists when he was in the Senate, and now I'm sure he says, oh, he wishes he had never done that. Uh, Biden is not in the mainstream of the at least the Democrat primary voter base because they don't think that there's anything wrong with illegal immigration. The party has shifted. It, it has changed. There's no longer a real uh, sense that illegal immigration is a problem to be controlled. In fact, they would like to see such a change that legal immigration is no longer considered a problem at all. So why shouldn't he be forced to apologize? When you think of it that way, I mean, he, he knows enough to understand now that apologizing is a terrible idea, but why shouldn't he be forced to apologize? Why isn't he wrong? Democrats like Biden should have to answer this question. In, in what way are they still in the, in the Democrat mainstream? They don't have answers, folks, because ultimately we have seen their party shift and now the democratic party does not believe you know people cannot be illegal this is what they say this is now a talking point just come into the country and you can stay here and there's nothing else that needs to be said about it this is the talking point that they raise this is what they say and i think a lot of us have realized that that's a big problem for the Democrats going into the general election. At least I, I hope it is. Have we not learned from the internment of Japanese Americans? Mr. Holman, I'm a father. Do you have children? How can you possibly allow this to happen under your watch? Do you not care? Is it because these children don't look like children that are around you? I don't get it. Have you ever held a deceased child in your arms? First of all, your comments are disgusting. I've served my I country. Find your I've served my, country. I've served my well, country for 34 I find, years. I find your this is, this is out of control. As well. I've served my country for 34 years. And yes, I held a five-year-old boy in my arms that, in back of that tractor trailer. I knelt down beside him and said a prayer for him because I knew what his last 30 minutes of his life were like. And I had a five-year-old son at the time 
What I've been trying to do my 34 years serving my nation is to save lives. So for you to sit there and insult my integrity and my love for my country and for, the, and for children, that's why this whole thing needs to be fixed. And you're the member we of Congress. We agree on that. Fix it. Which team are you on, folks? That's really where we are now. Do you side with someone like Tom Holman, a career law enforcement official, and as he pointed out, they're a dad, an American, a patriot, who is trying to enforce our laws and wants to stop not just the exploitation of our system by these migrants, but also stop people from taking the risks because they think they will get tremendous benefit from exploiting the system. Do you think that you want to be on the home inside of this or Democratic Representative Garcia there, the demagogue, the grandstander, the intellectual phony who pretends to understand this issue, pretends to care about this issue, when at the end of the day it's just about power, it's just about the optics, getting that soundbite there. Oh, that's right. Democrats are the ones who care about the children. Republicans don't care about children. Who believes that? What moron really believes that? But this is the way that they debate. This is the way that they argue. This is how they present the issue. One side cares about children. The other side doesn't. One side is racist. The other side is welcoming with open arms to all people from the third world who break our laws to come here. There are complexities, to be sure, in our immigration system. One of them should not be, or rather, one of them is not, in our discussions, whether we all want people to be able to be safe, whether we want there to be absolutely no loss of human life. We agree on that. So why do Democrats keep focusing on that? This does have many echoes of what we saw going on in Europe when there was that huge surge back in 20, what was it, 2015 into 2016 of Muslim migrants, many from but not entirely from the Syrian civil war, who were in many cases true asylum seekers, and they were flooding onto European shores. And whenever someone drowned because they tried to come into, they tried to get into the EU not through a legal port of entry, but they wanted to just run the border essentially, it was held up as the Europeans are being heartless and this is so terrible. And, and then Angela Merkel said, okay, well, let's have a million come into our country. Let's just let a million people in, which is what we're facing right now, too. Bring a million people in. And they weren't stopping in Greece. They didn't want to be in Greece. They didn't want to be in Romania. They, they would walk through other countries. They didn't want to stop in, in Hungary. They wanted to go right to Germany. And if they could, make their way all the way to Sweden, to Denmark the best welfare state possible. That's what they were heading for. That's where they wanted to go. Well, while we can say that we all agree that there's a need to keep people safe from harm when we can, there's not a need to let people pick and choose what the biggest, what the biggest government-funded paycheck is that they're going to get. But it was such a disgraceful attack on Tom Holman, whom I know and who's a good guy. I've had many conversations with about immigration. It was so, so grotesque from these Democrats, and I'm just glad that he, not surprising at all, he stood up and fought for himself on this. I'm glad that he didn't let them get away with it. And that then continued on where you had Ocasio-Cortez trying to pin family separation, which is not what the policy is. That's, that, that's a made-up term. There's no such thing as a family separation policy 
There is a zero tolerance for illegal acts policy, which means prosecution of adults who break the law. That's all it means. But they want to talk about family separation as though that's the purpose. So this would be very similar to if we had uh, we have laws against drunk driving. And if you were to say to somebody uh, that you have a when it comes to drunk driving, you have a family separation policy. No, what we have is a if you're driving drunk and a serious safety menace to the public, you will be arrested and prosecuted. And if there's a child in the back seat, you don't bring the child with you into prison. That's the policy. And that's what Tom Homan had to explain to AOC, whom I, I don't know if she's it could be either. It could be both. It's probably a mix, whether she's too ignorant or just too disingenuous to grasp this issue, what's really going on here. But AOC, who is an imbecile and who cannot debate and who does not know anything, who's all about the optics and the sound bites and the Twitter and the and the Instagram. And she's just she's really like an Instagram influencer who has been turned into the leader of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, which tells you all you have to know about the progressive Democrats. They'll just put a, a complete ignoramus with no life experience, no wisdom whatsoever, no record of accomplishment or success, I might add. Oh, be, beating Crowley in some district in Queens? Yeah, that guy was a jerk who didn't show up and do anything. He was a machine politician who got caught napping. It's not some miracle that he lost. It's not like she beat some Republican in a super red district because she's so charming and brilliant. But she went up against Tom Homan on... She was Look, she was trying to pin... Uh, Garcia was trying to say that Homan doesn't care about dead kids, which is what Democrats say on gun control. They say it about immigration. They do this all the time. It's just demagoguery. It's gross. But then AOC tried to pin a, quote, family separation policy on Tom Homan, who's the acting ICE director, former acting ICE director. And here's what he said. Play one. The recommendation of the many that you recommended, you recommended family separation. I recommend a zero tolerance. Which includes family separation. The same as is whenever you, a citizen parent, gets arrested when they're with a child. Zero tolerance was interpreted as the policy that separated children from their If parents. I get arrested for DUI and I have a young child in a car, I'm going to be separated. When I was a police officer in New York and I arrested a father for domestic violence, I separated that Mr. father from Mr. Holman, with all due respect, legal asylees are not charged with any crime. When you're in the country illegally, it's violation 8 United States Code 1325. Seeking asylum is legal. If you want to seek asylum, you go through the port of entry, do it the legal way. The Attorney General of the United States has made that clear. Okay. Mr. Chair, the, the, the memo is, um, is submitted to the record for review. Yep, she's wrong. I had the same debate on Twitter with Soledad O'Brien, and she was wrong. They just jump right to the seeking asylum is not a crime. Uh, n- no, that's like saying, you know, seeking an appeals process in court is not a crime. No, it's the reason you're in court in the first place, though, could be a crime. And the reason that these migrants are in custody is because they committed a crime. It is a crime to just say, I'm not waiting at the port of entry. I'm not going to obey your laws. I'm just going to show up and cross into U.S. territory and surrender. That is what they are doing. That is a violation of the law, as much as Democrats like to pretend that it is not. Is AOC too stupid to know that that's a violation of the law? I mean, this is where you have to ask, and I don't, I don't have the answer for that. I don't know. Seems to me that it's not beyond uh, comprehension that she would be uh, too foolish to really understand 
what's going on here. It seems to me that it, it is uh, quite possible that she just doesn't know what the laws may be. But it is indicative of this whole debate and this discussion going on right now that here you have Democrats who have staff preparing them. They've written out questions and their whole thing is to try to trip up and attack and undermine someone like Tom Homan. And he's just a professional who knows the issues, knows what he's talking about, understands what's going on here. And they are a bunch of whiny, grandstanding, ridiculous brats. All of these Democrats on this issue, they're just being dishonest, disingenuous, and it's the whole thing. It's disgraceful. It really is. But good for Tom Homan. I don't know Peter Thiel, but I like Peter Thiel. And I like what he does, I should say. I don't I just, I don't know him personally, but I, I think that he's done some very important things. First of all, he's a prominent libertarian voice, but also a supporter of Trump's, which I appreciate. He spoke at the Republican National Convention at a time when to do so within the ranks of the establishment was was a very was a brave move and certainly he was willing to take some risks now it's a little easier to be brave i'm just going to say it, a little easier to be brave politically and otherwise when you're a billionaire but nonetheless bravery is bravery and also he is the guy who was behind taking down gawker which was just a a diseased you know pimple on the underside of the foot of humanity i mean it was just a disgusting horrible website uh run by and contributed to by terrible people that ruined lives ruined reputations and teal annihilated them and and brought them down and it was one it was a great thing it was a real service to humanity that peter teal did that um he spoke over the weekend at the national conservatism conference and he said some very interesting things uh he he's a remember he's not just a billionaire he's also on the board of facebook so he's a very prominent very powerful guy especially in the world of silicon valley and he called out google and said that federal agencies including the cia and the fbi should look into exactly how far Google's uh, collaboration with China has gone. And he asked some, he asked questions. I have the questions here that really sent a, a, a bit of a, of a shock up the backs of a lot of Silicon Valley folks, I think. And conservatives are perking up their ears. They're saying, wait a second. He, he sounds like he's got a point here. Here's what Peter Thiel asked at this National Conservatism Conference. Number one, how many important, and by the way, these are three questions that should be asked of Google. This was from Peter Thiel's speech. Number one, how many foreign intelligence agencies have infiltrated your Manhattan Project for AI? Number two, does Google's senior management consider itself to have been thoroughly infiltrated by Chinese intelligence. Number three, is it because they consider themselves to be so thoroughly infiltrated that they have engaged in the seemingly treasonous decision to work with the Chinese military and not with the U.S. military because they're making this sort of bad, short-term, rationalistic decision that if a technology doesn't go out the front door, 
it gets stolen out the back door anyway. Added those questions need to be asked by the FBI, by the CIA, and they should not be asked in an excessively gentle manner. I mean, this is somebody who has real backing financially in terms of connections as well, in terms of his political clout, and who understands this space really well, who's more or less saying, is Google betraying America? That's, that's quite a charge, my friends. Google is one of the most powerful companies in the world. Not only is it effectively in charge of what you see because of search, search results are so important, right? Whatever you type into Google, does, do, do any of you use, maybe you use yahoo.com, maybe. Some of you probably still have, you've got mail, and you do the whole AOL thing. But that's not what you should be doing because you shouldn't pay for that. Uh, I think as of a few years ago, even, AOL was still making tens of millions of dollars a month over people paying for AOL subscriptions just because they never turned it off. That's pretty remarkable. It's a great business to be in. The people giving you free money. I want to be in that business. The people giving you free money business. But... Google also influences every other media media organization, uh, not just in terms of how much you see it through Google results, but Google has a tremendous uh, amount of influence in the advertising space. And that is how companies, especially online, this is how they sustain themselves. This is how they make money. So Google can turn the spigot on and Google can turn the spigot off. Google can decide that, you know, you're going to be able to make money online or Google can say you can't. So think of all the media organizations that that influences. And so their ability to affect consumer perception and to affect media monetization, media success, media coverage is profound. And Peter Thiel is saying these guys at Google will work with China, but they won't work with the United States military on projects on AI-related projects. The race for 5G, for 5G Internet, is well underway, and Google doesn't seem to have any sense of uh, nationalism, patriotism, pride in country. Thinks of itself as a, as a truly global company and will work with China, which is constantly stealing the intellectual property of other Internet companies here in America, is engaged in true repression, I mean, I still can't believe that when I was in China, I, you can't use Google. You can't do it. They've got it shut off. And Google will work with China because they want access to that market, you see. And Teal's point about how maybe they just let, let China rip them off in terms of technology because at least they'd rather have them do it in the, you know, they'd rather be aware of them doing it and get some benefit from China with market access than just have the Chinese hacking into Google stuff and stealing it from afar and not having that market access. And then think about any information sharing and collaboration that might be going on between the Chinese government and Google and what the implications of that are. Not just financial, national security implications. Long-term, technological, civilization-changing implications of that technology transfer could be. This is where we have to have the sit down and have the talk about how 
that companies that operate in this country that are U.S. based companies full of U.S. personnel aren't just about the bottom line. We we have had a a chorus of corporate free market absolutism for quite some time now. But there are national security considerations that U.S. companies need to be held to account for. Just like I say, there are national security considerations that universities need to be held to account for. The Chinese have been pillaging our intellectual property and technology and, and not only training Chinese nationals to go back to China to compete with us, but trying to steal proprietary technology from campuses. You know, a lot of elite universities have programs and projects that have uh, proprietary technology that is immensely valuable. And approaching it from the, oh, we're China, we just want to send our students, what's the problem with that? Well, that means that the door is pretty wide open for that technology theft. And no one really wants to look that deeply into it in this country. No one in the government wants to spend too much time trying to track this stuff down. So Teal is... uh, he is sounding a clarion call here, and I, I think that this is the beginning of a much longer focus and an investigation of just what is Google doing with China and have they sold us out? Is liberalism a disease of the mind? I, I wouldn't say that we're going to answer that question to the fullest today. I suppose this show in some ways is always answering that question. I think the answer tends to be yes. That liberalism has become a cult, a a social status more than it is a a political belief system. And that there is also an embrace of untruth or non-truth that is necessary to be a liberal in good standing these days. So let, let me give you an example of this. It just came up over the weekend. And I'm happy to have this debate with anybody who wants to have the debate. I'm happy to throw down over this issue. But Dr. Eugene Gu, G-U, M.D., he is a medical doctor, and he has, let me see how many, he has uh, 283,000, 283,000 Twitter followers. So this guy's got a big Twitter following, and he shared this. This is over the weekend. Remember, this guy is a medical doctor. He's in his surgeon's scrubs in his Twitter avatar. He's very anti-Trump, though. He's a left-winger. He's a left-wing doctor. And he shared the following. It's a scientific and medical fact that men can get pregnant and also have abortions. Trans men and non-binary individuals are human beings who deserve to be acknowledged by society They choose their own identity, not me, not you, not any doctor, and certainly not any politician. No, Dr. Gu, that's his name, it is not a scientific and medical fact that men can get pregnant and have abortions. That is false. And at some point, we have to just be willing to draw lines and say, no, I'm not, we're not doing this anymore. We're not doing this thing where up is down and down is up and black is white and white is black and, you know, left is right and right is left and no, no. There has to be some basis of truth. There has to be something called a fact. There has to be a reality that we all have to live in. And when you have medical doctors who have become so devoted, so devoted to leftism that they are able to convince themselves 
that this is something that they should say. You know, I mean, it reminds me of the chill that went up my spine when Dr. Lena Wynn, who is a female medical doctor who is the president of Planned Parenthood now, told me that abortion is a healthcare procedure like any other procedure. That's also a lie. We all know that. It is, if nothing else, at least, and it is a highly elective procedure. It's not a not a necessary medical procedure by any extent, and it's also killing a baby. Uh, but this is what we see happening now. And what you might think is, well, this will reverse. No, it only reverses. It only stops. We only continue to live in reality. If we say to people like Dr. Eugene Gu, no, I'm sorry, you don't just get to make up whatever you want. There is, there, is, there is objective reality. There's objective truth. You see, what greater power could the left really have than the ability to subvert the most basic facts? Some of you know that I am fascinated by and have been doing recently some revisiting of my favorite uh, treatments, tracts, uh, writings on the Soviet Union and, to, and the totalitarianism of communism. This is in preparation for a book that I'm writing that will be coming out at the end of the year, so get excited. Uh, but one of the things that they were able to accomplish in the Soviet Union was the expectation among not just the population, because they were living in abject fear, but of party officials, that the way that you were to show in the Central Committee, in the Politburo, the way that you would show you were a true believer in the revolution was to be willing to say one thing on day one and something completely different and opposite on day two and not blink, not miss a beat. To wage war on truth itself. That is what the libs, that is what the leftists are doing now. That's why they will say things like it is a scientific and medical fact that men can get pregnant and also have abortions and have a doctor say that. In, in just complete flagrant violation of all that is true about the medical profession. No, Dr. Goo, you are wrong. It doesn't matter that you are an MD. You are wrong, and we need to be willing to say that out loud. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11 It's time for Roll Call. It's time for Roll Call. Autobots, roll out. Same guy, I think. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I have not had a chance to talk to you all since the weekend. I hope you had a great weekend. I was up in, uh, up in New York with the family. I uh, did Tucker's show on Friday. did Howie Kurtz's show on Sunday. Had some fun up in the NYC. Saw Tulu. My parents' French bulldog, who is uh, a, a total snuggle monster. French bulldogs are great. For any of you thinking about getting a dog, if you don't want a dog that... I know some of you are like, Buck, I want a dog that can, that can track down pheasant and, and large bobcat. And I, I, yeah, I know, but that's a different kind of dog, all right? If you, want a, if you want a dog that you just snuggles, is always cute and cuddly, and would never hurt a fly... And it's not good if, like, someone breaks into your house. It's going to say, like, hey, scratch my belly. I'm a French bulldog. French bulldogs are a very good option. 
my dream dog is an English bulldog. I keep telling my parents this. And one day, I've, I got to get married first, and then I'm going to get an English bulldog, and then I'm going to have kids. But maybe it'll be kids first, then English bulldog. We'll see. I'll figure that out. But I'm, I'm working on it. To that end, it is time for the roll call. Jeff, actually, that didn't make sense at all as a transition, but we're just going to skip past that. Jeffrey, I have been listening since back in the day. I wanted to comment on the marijuana debate. I know you are a proponent of legalization, that some, but some of the points that you make about the mildness of the drug is not at all accurate in the way that it appears on the street today. The THC levels have been increasing dramatically from levels in the 60s and 70s. Also, on the street, all too often, other drugs are being blended with marijuana, so there are just a lot of dangers in only marijuana smoking today. Some thoughts. Jeffrey, what you're saying is, is valid. I know that there are people who... Uh, we'll put, I think uh, they'll mix PCP in with marijuana. I've even heard of uh, crack-laced marijuana. I, I mean, I, I don't touch any of this stuff, so I don't really. This is why when I sound, I sound like someone's parents in an after-school special when I talk about drugs. Because, you know, I, I'm like, yeah, like the reefer, like the Mary Jane, you know, because I don't know what the cool kids say about the drugs because I don't do any drugs. Uh, as to the, the the elevated THC levels, you're correct. There's elevated THC levels. Look, I think marijuana, I'm just going to say it. I think marijuana makes you slow, dumb, and lazy. I, I do. Now, so does alcohol in excess, right? There are a lot of things that if you do too much of, it's not. So does, I'm trying to think of what my real indulgence is. I just, I've got to stop eating French fries. This is my, you know, I can't. I mean, Producer Mike, what is your food weakness? What is the thing? Oh, well, Mark, what is your, I mean, producer Mike out having a stogie with the ladies, although he doesn't smoke. Uh, what, what is your food weakness, Mark? What all, is the thing? All of it. All of it? All food is my weakness. I mean, that's Except true. salad. Salad would be my only non-weakness. Wow. Salad is like your kryptonite? Yes. I mean, I like to tell people, you think salad's all healthy until there's an E. coli outbreak, and all of a sudden, they're pulling that spinach off the shelves. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, for me, it's I just need to stop uh, eating out. Is actually I, I eat out pretty healthy, except whenever there's a French fry option, I'm like, and I'll take uh, the French fries on the side. I know I should get a side of greens or whatever, but you know, I don't know, man. It is it is what it is. But uh, yeah, Jeffrey, sorry. Back to THC. Uh, but what I said about THC being a fat soluble versus water soluble drug is true. It, it THC is is not the toxicity. It's uh, it cannot kill you. So it is different in that sense than heroin, which can kill you, cocaine, which can kill you, alcohol, which can kill you. Uh, THC cannot really. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to concentrate it in doses that you couldn't smoke and then take it all at once. And, you know, that's it's just not something that ever happens. Sean writes, Buck, I found a leftist with a brain. You should check out Timcast. He may have ideas we don't agree with, but he is able to have a decent conversation. Um, yeah, uh, Sean, I've, I've heard of Tim Cast, and I'm, I'd be happy to check out his stuff. I don't know his work, but um, I've heard good things, so thank you for the heads up. Rick, Shield Tybuck, I have to comment, I have to correct your comment, you've never interviewed Paul Ryan. Ryan was on set at Real News years ago. If you weren't there that day, I seem to recall you're almost always on that show. Uh, Rick, I think you're right. I will tell you that I forget sometimes when I've interviewed people and I like I did interview Scott Walker. Well, actually, a couple of times. And I forgot about that until recently. I may have interviewed Paul Ryan. I don't even remember now. 
I, I don't remember. Um, that is, I think I did. I mean, you're right. Real news. We had an interview with Paul Ryan. I might have been there. I might not have. But I've interviewed so many people at this point that some of them, it kind of blends together. I mean, you remember the presidents. You remember the vice presidents, cabinet officials for the most part. But members of Congress kind of all, you know, congressmen such and such. Same, same idea. Tyler. Right, it's Buck, longtime podcast listener here. And regarding fellow podcast listener Tim, the broadcast engineer's roll call submission on Friday about the audio levels are correct. Sorry, producer Mark. The volume levels for Buck are all over the board uh, from normal to very low to where you can hardly hear, followed by earth shattering speaker blowing levels of volume. I use the iHeart app if that makes any difference. It does not matter whether I listen at work or the truck, the personal vehicle or headphones. Keep up the good fight while the rest of us use the liberal tears your show produces as the sweetener. For our Black Rifle Coffee, Shields High. Well, Tyler, you ended super strong there in your roll call message. I, I Producer Mark, are you still you still standing by your guns on this one, that, that our podcast audio is fine and people just need to figure out their own equipment? Of course. Ah, dude, I'm always going to stand by my work. Yeah, Mark, Mark, is, Mark is unmoved by your entreaties about the podcast volume. Could it be an iHeart app thing? Which, it could that be would the be processing beyond. once it goes out to the podcast apps, but on my end, it seems fine. Yeah, guys, producer Mark is sticking. He's tripling down. He's he's going Trump on this one. Tripling down. Uh, Joseph, totally agree with the roll callers of the podcast audio sucks. Producer, don't be a snowflake. Check your audio and listen to your audience. Hugs and kisses and puppies from Joseph. Uh, I don't know, Mark. I don't, we got to figure this out, man, because it might not be on your end or my end. But people are the, the people have spoken here, man. We got to figure out. Must be. Could it be the iHeart app? We, send an email to the digital, the digital ninjas. I think they all want me to quit my job. I don't know what's going on here, Jessica. Hey, Buck. Um, oh, another. Wow, this is another person complaining about the podcast audio. All right, we got to fix this. We got to figure out what's going on here. Uh, Wayne, Buck, someone needs to get this concept into the mainstream. I think you can do it. Uh, what concept you say the biggest foreign influence in our elections, direct influence, vote count changing influence is illegals voting. Motor voter laws have allowed untold illegals to register to vote. I suspect that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wayne, you know, Wayne, this has been the concern for a long time. You rightly point out that motor voter laws are such that you have people that think that could, could, in good faith, who are illegals, think that they're supposed to register to vote because we have an automatic registration or, you know, a, a recommended registration process when you go to the DMV. And they may think, oh, well, I'm allowed to vote because they, they are registering everybody who comes here to vote. As for illegals voting, we don't know what the numbers are. We do know that there is voter fraud every year. We don't know how much voter fraud and if we don't know how many illegals there are in the country to begin with, it shouldn't be surprising we don't know how many illegals are, are, are voting. Uh, and whether they're doing it nefariously or not, it's still illegal. And that should not happen. Alex, right? From the sound of it, you're not a soccer fan. But while you're in D.C., you should go to an MLS match. D.C. is second in their division. Soccer games are good times. Uh, Alex, uh, actually, that is fake news, my friend. I, I do like soccer. Um, I don't like it as much as I like tennis, which if some of you uh, just give me a second here. I know you're all like, fuck, who cares about tennis? The Wimbledon match on Sunday was incredible, though. Federer versus Djokovic. It went into a fifth set tie break, 12-12. 
It's a shame Federer couldn't pull it out, but it was pretty amazing. And uh, no, I'd go check out a soccer match here. That sounds like fun. Willie. Hey, Buck. How long before an NYC power outage is blamed on GW? Hmm? In California, the utility companies are being sued, but the GW narrative is still used. Oh, global warming is what he means by GW. Really enjoy your take on events. Well, Willie, thank you so much. And global warming is already being used, as I've been discussing, as the uh, as the reason for the migrant crisis, you see. That's be- because they, they have to stretch too much. It's too hard to convince people that the real problems in Central America are a function of... Uh, U.S. foreign policy in the 80s. Now, there are some leftists who are going to believe that no matter what. But overall, overall, um, there is uh, it's just tough to make that stick. But if they can say it's global warming, oh, then you get all the libs on board. And and who is responsible for global warming? Us, China, India, uh, the EU. And so Central America gets a pass. And that's why we're we're, we're the bad guys in that narrative. So, Willie, you're on to something. Mark writes, uh, little do they realize I'm in D.C. drinking beer at the Trump International. Um, all right, cool, man. Oh, he sent me a photo. Are you hanging out tonight? And the, Man, Mark, I'm sorry I missed you guys. And your, your, uh, your girlfriend or fiance is love you. Thanks for tweeting out the, or uh, sending out the photo, man. I don't know. When, when was this? This was back on Sunday. Buck, in D.C. for a little birthday weekend getaway. Stop the Trump International. Nice place. Um, yeah, man, Mark, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And that is usually, that's usually where I am. I think I'll probably be at the Trump tomorrow night, Tuesday night. So any of you who happen to be in D.C., if you want to come hang out, I'll probably stop by there, see some of my friends. So that's how I try to, that's how I try to get down. That's how the Buck star likes to party. Um, that's going to be it for the show today. Uh, I know that I feel like I'm just getting started here, but thank you so much for tuning in. Always a privilege and honor, a pleasure to have you with me in the Freedom Hunt. We will get into oh so much more uh, tomorrow. We do that every day, I suppose. Get ready for uh, we're going to have a big Mueller week next week. So this week's going to be about immigration mostly. We'll get into that. And uh, until next time, Shields High.